Truth was, Haytham felt some measure of responsibility for the thief. When Haytham was his age, he'd still been fighting for pennies in the street. Kingmaker had given him opportunity, but he'd made him hard, and perhaps had charted Haytham's course right from the start toward his own spectacular destruction. Haytham promised himself that if he made it out of this in one piece, he'd keep an eye on the boy's tiller, helping him steer between deep water and the jagged rocks that lurk just below the surface. What is up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode where we last left off. Lee finally comes face to face with the spider as he and Haytham bring the boy in on their plan against Elias. I am so excited for this episode. If you're not caught up yet, I will have a link to the entire story so far down in the episode description, as well as a couple of recap videos if you want to get a refresher on where we are in the story. All right, that is enough from me. I will catch you guys at the end of the episode. I'm Josh Call, and this is Last Coliseum. The air was hazy with smoke and thick with the smell of bodies. The torches that studded the high wooden columns had been packed with fragrant herbs to mitigate the stench, but there was only so much that could be done to quell the stink of sweat, cheap liquor, and animal that rose from the great steaming mass below. It was a good turnout he was pleased to see. Already the penny seats, in which there would of course be no sitting, were full to bursting. Countless bodies pressed in tight around the white sand battleground below. The upper tiers were likewise filling up quickly, and between the long standards that hung from the balconies, most of the figures he saw were clad in the colors of their chosen brawler, white and blue for the champion, red and black for the challenger. Braden leaned against the railing of the high balcony of the uppermost tier, surveying his domain, instinctively calculating his take from the whole affair. It had cost him a king's ransom paying off the Greycloaks to ensure that the fight would be permitted to proceed unmolested. Between that and the extra handful of Marcella's hired men to guard the doors and keep watch from the roof, he'd be lucky if he ended the night with a pair of crowns to rub together. But then, in the end, it wasn't about the gold anymore, was it? It was about principle. It was about loyalty. It was about striking fast and striking hard, removing a key piece from the board before Shiloh and the rest could marshal their defenses around him. And if he could do so in a way that kept his later denials plausible, if he could stoke a coal of doubt in the minds of Jenna, of Pentos, of Cat, so much the better. He'd need allies in the days ahead. He breathed in a great lungful of smoke and sweat and incense, allowing a smile to steal across his features. Even if they burned the city down to its foundations, when the smoke cleared, Braden Kingmaker intended to be Lord of the Ash Heap. You seem more like yourself tonight, boomed a voice behind him. The railing shuddered as Pentos Ken Pentos hurled his weight against it, and for an instant Braden saw them both falling, falling, falling into the churning mass of low folk down below. He blinked and shook the thought off. Some of the Northmen's ale had spilled, suds oozed down the side of his tankard and dripped over the empty. His quilted doublet was black with vermilion sleeves, and his face tattoos were just barely visible under the black and blood stripes that ran from hairline to chin. 
The gray man's face betrayed nothing. I always get irritable when I have to make decisions, he explained, sweeping a hand over the balcony's edge. Now all the dies are cast. The Northman nodded into his tankard. When it came down, his thick blonde mustache was white with froth. Now you get to lean back and kick your feet up. He gripped the railing with one hand and leaned back, draining the rest of his ale at a draft. Braden heard the old wood groaning in protest. He grimaced and took a small step away from the brink. Pentos palmed his tankard off on a passing porter and scanned Kingmaker up and down, clad in his usual charcoal silks under a drab half-cape. You're not picking a winner tonight. I have my favorite, but... He held up two fingers in greeting as Katerina appeared at the top of the stairs, one of her girls on either arm. It's any man's fight, he finished as the courtesan moved to intercept them. Just you? He asked her, ignoring Kat's girls as Pentos stooped to plant a bristly kiss on each girl's slender hand. Like the porters on the top tier or the scullions in the Grey Keep, any courtesan taught under Katerina would have been well-trained in the high art of discretion. Marcella's coming, she replied, and bringing Jenna along under protest. Shiloh and Torm send their regrets. The old man doesn't like crowds. And Petros, well... She looked meaningfully at the absent Northman's estranged brother. You both know Petros? Pentos growled a few colorful expletives. Braden saw a touch of color rise to Kat's girl's cheeks. After the tankard-throwing incident, Petros studiously avoided any event where his brother was likely to get roaring drunk, which, to his credit, was most of them. And that was just as well, as far as Braden was concerned. Pentos had once confided over a shared sweet milk pipe that his one regret was missing his chance to strangle the other Ken Pentos in the crib. Better to let their enmity simmer apart than boil over under the gray man's roof. A cheer rose from below as the mummers somersaulted over the rope perimeter and took up positions for their opening vignette. Their leather masks were shaped to resemble various animals, and they accordingly pranced or crawled or slithered to the amusement of the low folk. The troopers were roundly ignored by the high lords of the upper tier. They carried on their dreadfully dull conversations about business and politics and the weather in Southreach, every few moments punctuated by a burst of laughter from below. Braden scanned the gathered mighty. You could always tell who was the greatest because they attracted hangers-on like flies to sh- there was the second son of the governor of Nexus, the cleric from Kadar with the ring in his nose and the gigantic scimitar on his belt, and of course the twin terrors from Blackport. These last eyed Cat's girls with a malevolent sort of hunger that made Braden's hackles rise. White Rose's seat was empty, and would of course remain empty, but he feigned ignorance when Pentos remarked on the nobleman's absence. He promised to be here, the gray man pouted, just to show there's no hard feelings about the other night. He wondered whether they'd sprung the trap yet, if Elias was already hogtied and screaming for mercy. I can't hardly blame him if he cries off, the Northman shrugged. It is well. He plucked at the little silver pin on his breast, a pair of flared wings that he'd made specifically for tonight. Who would want to relive all that? Gutting his own brother, he didn't say. You, 
Braden thought, but kept to himself. A man who took the name White Rose, suggested Katerina, gesturing to the ivory Victor's Rose stitched onto the standard hanging from the opposite balcony. Pentos laughed and conceded her point. You can kill the man, but the legend lives on, the gray man murmured. He was eyeing the desert priest, whose long beard was braided with gold rings that glittered almost as much as the jewel-encrusted medallion looped around his neck. I think someone wrote a book about that, he added, eyes twinkling. He looked over the railing and peered down his nose at the mummers in the pit. He'd seen the play before and chose it especially. It was about a mule who fashions a mane out of grass and with it convinces all the other animals that he's a lion. They had almost reached the scene where the ass, intoxicated with the other animals' fear, challenges a young lion to a fight and is promptly and unceremoniously torn to shreds. Tonight, he knew exactly how the young lion felt, lithe, hungry, and out for blood. On three, ready? One, two, three! The wagon groaned as they lifted it up on two wheels. The muscles in Haytham's neck bulged as he strained against its weight, shoulder to shoulder with two of the gray man's faceless sellswords. He could hear them puffing and panting, their breath fogging on the chill night air through the thin black veils they wore draped over their features. He felt the crates and sacks of grain in the wagon shift. A barrel fell off and smashed, and something wet gushed over his boots. The wagon toppled over with an ear-splitting crash, two wheels that were still in contact with the cobbles snapping like twigs. Crates and more barrels tumbled out, and the spider's other men set about smashing them into kindling and kicking them about until the street was strewn with sharp, splintery debris like a field of caltrops. The brawler stalked out of the puddle of vegetable oil that was congealing around his ankles, his feet squelching. He cut a piece of canvas off the wagon and wiped the bottom of his boots. It didn't help. The sellswords had finished blocking off the road, and they turned to him expectantly for a command. Let's get back there. He led the way running, his eyes trained on the black shape of the distant belfry the whole way to the choke point, mindless of the night breeze that knifed through the alleys. He dared not look away from that dark silhouette up above, dared not so much as blink for fear that he'd miss the signal. He hadn't slept since the day he introduced the thief and the spider. They were so close to what he'd so long sought. He'd been counting the days hour by hour, by day, he pored over their maps of the city, plotting contingencies with Kingmaker, contingencies for the contingencies, and so on. By night, he lay in bed with Amatha's legs slung over his, staring at the ceiling and trying not to move for fear of waking her. There were conceivably three routes wide enough for a carriage that the doomed man might take from the winch lifts to the warehouse. Haytham had walked them each a dozen times in the days between, marking the best places for an ambush. Once they settled on one, which even now was being reinforced by the Kadari and another half-dozen hired swords, the next thing was to arrange for roadblocks of the other two streets to prevent the bastard from slipping by them unseen. He'd left one man at each of the overturned wagons, just in case the driver tried to skirt around the crash. 
If either of them signaled, the ambushers had multiple fallback points from which they could just as easily spring their trap. The choke point loomed ahead of them, and Haytham whistled low as he and the other sellswords slowed to a walk. He saw Randall melt out of the shadows of a neighboring building. He regarded them for a long moment with those dark, hooded eyes, then turned on his heel and disappeared into the alley. Haytham and the others hurried after him. They'd chosen this junction carefully, where the southbound street bent sharply to follow the westward course of the Jackson. On one side were a few market stalls that narrowed the corner even more. On the other, the river was a churning black snake that twisted toward the city's outer limit. The carriage would be forced to slow down considerably to navigate the sharp turn, and in that moment they'd drop on him like a bolt of lightning from the black sky. The rest of the ambushers were lounging in the alley, sitting on barrels, oiling their weapons, and checking the cords on their crossbows. Haytham bobbed his head in greeting to the sentry posted at the alley's mouth. We run through this again, Randall murmured in his gentle lilt, his words almost snatched away under the roar of the jacksum. The sellswords didn't react, but the brawler could tell that they were listening attentively to their captain's words. Target one is to disable the carriage. The wheels, the axles, the horse, he said, counting them off on his fingers. If you can cut the horse loose, fine. If you can't, kill it. Noise is our enemy. There's people in all of these buildings. He made a swirling gesture with one finger pointed up at the neighboring apartments. Target two is extraction. First team fights with Reaper. You follow his lead. Haytham grit his teeth at the mention of his old arena name. He noticed one of the spider's adverts pasted on the wall behind him. He tore it down and crumpled it in his fist. Second team is with me. The sellsword continued, leave no witnesses. Everything goes in the river. The carriage, the horse, any bodies. I want them halfway across the hinter before the keepers know someone's missing. That last part was a stretch, Haytham knew. Once the bodies were in the river, all you could do was hold your breath and hope like hell that nothing caught in the reeds or washed up on the riverbank. Randall turned to the brawler. Once you have the asset, you come here. There was a door behind him. He rapped on it twice. The door swung wide, another veiled sellsword appearing in the threshold. Behind him, in the room's dimly lit interior, Haytham could make out a couple of the animal pelts hanging from the rafters to dampen the noise. He'd hung the pelts himself while Lee stretched still more furs over the floorboards. When they were finished, you could stand in the center of the room and scream until your throat was raw and not hear so much as a whisper on the other side of the door. After that is your problem, muttered the sellsword. You know what to do with the body. Haytham nodded. There was a panel in the floor that could be removed, exposing an eight-foot drop to the sewers under the city. Drop the carcass into the hole and let the rats take care of the rest. Randall gave a few more instructions to the rest of his men, but Haytham was past listening. His nerves were raw, and he padded to the mouth of the alley to get a better look at the belfry in the distance. The boy was up there on lookout, somewhere in the blackness, waiting to see which of the three routes the bastard took from the lifts. One torch meant they'd chosen the wrong route, meant that they'd hopefully double back when they encountered the roadblock, meant more waiting. Two torches meant Elias was coming, swift and certain into the brawler's crushing embrace. 
He hadn't wanted the boy to be a part of the fray. Of that, he and Kingmaker and the Sellsword had all been in agreement. Randall didn't trust Lee any farther than he could throw him. When Haytham pressed him about why, he grunted something in Kadari and refused to speak further. He'd be a liability in combat, the Grey Man had reminded him, especially if Haytham had to take one eye off the bastard to make sure Lee didn't get his throat cut. The brawler could tell that there were other reasons for holding him back that the spider wouldn't articulate, but he knew better than to press for more. Truth was, Haytham felt some measure of responsibility for the thief. Aye, he'd fought for a seat among the conspirators, but he was still half a boy. When Haytham was his age, he'd still been fighting for pennies in the street. Kingmaker had given him opportunity, but he'd made him hard as well, and perhaps had charted Haytham's course right from the start toward his own spectacular destruction. It made him strangely sad to see Lee taking his first blind steps down the path he'd forged before him, and in the bottom of his heart, Haytham promised himself that if he made it out of this in one piece, and that was hardly a guarantee, he'd keep an eye on the boy's tiller, helping him steer between deep water and the jagged rocks that lurk just below the surface. A tenuous flame flared to life high on the bell tower, driving all thought from the brawler's mind. The light thickened, gleaming off the burnished brass bell, and he counted his heartbeats, staring with clenched teeth and clenched hands at the torchbug glow. A second light bloomed on the other side of the bell, and Haytham heard his breath hiss between his teeth. He turned back and saw that Randall had appeared behind him, staring over his shoulder, the torchlights doubly reflected in his dark eyes. They both said it at the same time. He's coming. Thank you guys so much for listening. It truly is a privilege to be able to share this whole story with you. If you're enjoying the story so far, do me a favor and single out one person you know who is a total fantasy geek and send the story so far to them because we want this story to reach as many people as possible. All right, that is enough from me. I will catch you guys next week, same time, same place. I'll see you then.